What is up, Hockey IQ listeners? I'm here to chat about our newest sponsor, Sensorina. Your brain is one of the most important parts of your body. Why not invest in a tool that allows you to train it? With Sensorina, athletes can gain a competitive edge using VR training. Players are able to go through a scenario thousands of times without having to step foot on the ice. No more waiting around for puck touches or perfect scenarios. Sensorina can enhance reaction time, decision-making, and multitasking abilities, making you the next MVP. I mean, if the LA Kings are using it, it's got to be good. With our promo code HockeyIQ, you receive $50 off an annual plan purchase. Head on over to Sensorina.com to check it all out. On the Hockey IQ podcast today, we're bringing on Wendy Glover. Really excited to have you, Wendy. Thanks for having me, Greg. I'm excited to be here as well. Absolutely. And um, I've heard of your name a few times, but uh, really I was talking with with Daryl Belfry, and he's the one who got me into learning more about what you do. Um, But I'd love to hear in your own words for the listeners, you know, exactly what you're doing. Uh, Maybe not the the long version, but the, the trimmed down podcast version. Yeah, I'll try to summarize it quickly. I always get asked to do this and then fumble my way through it because it is quite um, overwhelming if you try to do everything that's in this kind of athlete leadership model. But what it is, is it's a model that tries to get student athletes while they're teenagers involved in gaining certifications as coaches, officials, and say sports administrators, and getting their foot into the sport community that they're in. And in this case, it would be hockey so that they have gained some certifications and confidence prior to exiting their youth sports experience so that they are able to actively contribute to the sport community that they choose to um, as young adults heading off into their post-high school, post-athletic careers. That was beautiful. Um, (laughs) I'm curious as to maybe why you're, you're, targeting the age group that you are or or what benefits do you think it is and I I know you get kids more than one year so that might also play into it but I'm curious as how that came about and why you think that age is so important Uh, to be honest I started off um, probably I don't know about 25 years ago trying to do this sort of thing with adults so trying to encourage adults to understand better practices how to get involved in coaching Um, even to uh, mentor coaches uh, in various sports. And I found that a little bit challenging in regards to parents being fairly more set in their ways or community coaches more set in their ways and not as willing and open to change or be open to learning the evidence that supported change. And teenagers were, uh, were where I spent my days with, and they were expressing their frustrations in their youth sport experiences And a kind of this light bulb moment went off and I said, well, to myself, like, why don't I train the high school kids to be uh, better, uh, to be better able to serve their community, have a better sports experience by learning sports science concepts related to their sport, gain certifications as coaches, officials, get their foot in the community um, as they're so open to change and they're critical thinkers, and they want to contribute, they want to make some noise, they want to take some risks. So let's create some healthy risk opportunities for them. And it started off very small, and it worked. So 
quite early on, the feedback from the teenagers was extremely positive, and that's all I needed to continue with the uh, idea that I had to keep going with the teens and kind of instead of the adult target market. That's fascinating. Uh, the, the key thing that stood out to me was like a healthy risk opportunity mm-hmm. where kids are having the opportunity to make mistakes or have the opportunity to succeed in, I would say, a relatively low stakes environment. You know, they're not going to get fired, <laughs> things like that. Absolutely. So it, it's, fa- it's fascinating. Um, and I say the same thing with, with my club hockey program that I do some recruiting for at the University of Akron. I'm like, look, like we are not going to just have you show up and play hockey. Like you're going to run the club in some capacity. Like it's the perfect yeah. example to start acquiring these skills and it's super valuable why you're still in this young person's environment where you're starting to get some leadership. Like you want to take the responsibility, but maybe you're not quite sure how to go about it. Uh, I'm curious what you're seeing on your end. Exactly what you're implying is they they want to make a difference in their community somehow, or they want to take some risk. They want to assert their autonomy. So in within these types of programs, they can. So giving them the content and there's always certifications that back up the content plus evidence. And we've been very careful to um, really teach the difference between evidence and opinion and giving them opportunities to go out in the community where they get to come back right away and have some feedback. So we don't just link them up in the community with people that we don't trust or people that are um, good role models for them. So they're usually in a buddy system or they'll go to say a hockey team with a, a U12 team and they'll go every Monday just to practices or something because these kids are also highly athletic themselves and very busy. They're in school. Uh, they play on many different sports teams in some cases. So all of the plans that they um, have to be on have to really suit the environment and situation that they're in. But the underlying message always is you have to make that commitment somewhere in multiple areas in the community. And then you come back and we reflect on it and what worked and what didn't. And just like you said, it's low stakes. Like no one's taking on a full on head coaching role in in these high school positions. Many do right after high school, which is fairly surprising to me. Usually I thought it would take a few more years than it has. But as you know, there's coaching shortages everywhere. And um, they're actually quite confident by the time they've had over 100 hours in the community, either at hockey camps or with hockey teams, um, running tryouts, they just dabble all over the place, they gain so much confidence. And uh, they're actually completely willing to contribute to um, the hockey environment and the youth sport environment when they're graduated. That's awesome. And I I love the wording you used, like reflective opportunities, Mm -hmm. reflective chances, like like it's great to get the experience, but if you're not properly reflecting on it, are you truly learning? I always think about that with my players. Like I'd rather ask questions and tell them what to do just for the fact of creating that reflective opportunity. Cause it leads into exactly what you're saying, that confidence. Um, I'm curious, have you had any players that have gone on to being head coaches at prominent roles or, or anything? Well, I mean, I don't want you to give away too much, but if, sure. maybe some examples would be cool. Very, very cool. Sure. So there's, um, I won't say names because I don't want to draw attention to these kids without asking them first is uh, one is 26 and he is a university assistant coach of university hockey in Canada. And he did his um, kinesiology with sport management and then his master's in youth coaching at Michigan state. 
And uh, another is the head strength and conditioning coach, one of those roles for UBC. And she also did her master's in positive youth development. And she went through the system. We have another talk to him actually yesterday, which was ironic, but he actually started a strength and conditioning club at a university. So one of the biggest things uh, you mentioned at the beginning was uh, in regards to leadership is once they have had experiences in youth sport, it, every single student um, athlete finds few different pieces of it that are extremely interesting to them. So uh, the program is a little bit broad in a sense of uh, exposing them to many factors. And, and like I just mentioned, some like the strength and conditioning part of, uh, of athlete development or the coaching part of athlete development. Others, it's grant writing. It could be running tournaments. I have some that are officials by the time they're 20 years old, they're officiating AAA games up to U18. So each of them takes kind of their own path once they're in it. So I could sit here and rhyme off all day kind of examples of where they all went. I have a couple working at MLSE. One has been with the Raptors. Like they're literally just going off all over the place um, because there's something within the program of learning about their sport environment from the inside out that inspired them to kind of head off in that direction, either as a profession or in a voluntary role. That's awesome. And I'm curious on the how, like how do you go about providing exposure to such a wide range of things? I mean, being an official and strength and conditioning or, I mean, they're in the same sport realm, but they're relatively far apart. Absolutely. So there's kind of a general curriculum that they all learn while they're here. So that is long-term athlete development, kind of the pieces of holistic athlete development that could involve nutrition, um, strength and conditioning, mental skills training or sports psychology, uh, player development, like the technical and the tactical pieces of the sport. Um, so they're all kind of introduced to the general pieces of how somebody transitions through the years in sport and the various stakeholders that they're going to encounter while they're doing that. And as they start to reach out into the community and have these experiences, some of them will start to, well, they clearly will say what they're interested in more than other things. Some of them choose uh, university or college programs specifically to uh, these uh, areas such as sport man management or kinesiology um, or communications or sport media, etc. Some it's completely unrelated. They'll go into engineering, but yet they coach hockey on the side. So that's the, always the over line piece is that you have to give back to sport because sport gave so much to you. So somebody volunteered their time while you were growing up in sport. So the concept is you must give back to sport somehow in a positive way. Um, and it doesn't have to be paid because there were plenty of people who did that for you. So how are you going to do it? That's always the question. So how are you going to do it? Where are your strengths? What do you particularly like about what you've been learning about sports? Where is your contribution going to be made that best suits you and the people that you get to work with? So as they age, um, we have a communication channel where I still have contact with them. There's about 450. And no, I don't hear from them all the time. I post jobs in their internships, master's programs, all kinds of interesting things that they can either read or not read. Uh, they can reach out back to me for information, for a reference letter. A, a coaching reference if they're applying for a coaching job. I get these sort of touch points at various times from various grads of the program. 
So eventually they just kind of go off and turn into adults and you hear from them or you don't. So it's very, it becomes very individualized as they, as they age, um, because clearly they leave, they grow up. So I've been at this 18 years. So there's some, like I had mentioned into their thirties now. So they, uh, they don't have to reach out. They're just off coaching and community. And they know that we have information. We have a little website that we share with them all where they can touch back and find out all these um, bits of curriculum that we've taught them over the years and they can come back and relearn it or revisit it if they want to. That's fascinating. Um, you've got all of these people probably all over Canada, but really all over the world in, in some capacity um, and over 400 graduates of, of basically the program. That's absolutely fascinating. I'm, I'm curious through all of these people going through you know, what are some major lessons that you've learned? I mean, obviously you're now able to learn from them and th this massive uh, influence force that you have bringing positive change to the world. Uh, first, I'd have to say humility. So like uh, when I started this, I was frustrated myself a little bit with how um, the youth sports environment had become. And, um, and that would have been behavior from any number of stakeholders within it. So I, it, it was, I was full of angst at first, I guess, well, I'm going to make a program and we're going to go off and try to fix this environment for everybody. And, and that was uh, fairly naive. Um, so uh, the older I got and the more we, well, we practice reflection, it's, you can't go in with like guns a blazing. It has to be very gentle, small improvements over many times, consistent, positive behavior. It, you're not just going to roll in anywhere where adults are involved and think that you're going to make vast changes quickly. So the one of the biggest messages we try to teach the kids is um, try to make changes, but it, it's going to take a really long time. Like it takes 10 years, <laughs> like a little micro changes as you go. And there has to be reflection. So a lot of times we're on a hamster wheel, you just jump on, on a bench, you're coaching a, a U16 hockey team or something. And it's just the year's so fast. Everyone's just trying to get through the week. Everybody's busy. I've, I've seen that. I realize that. So you can't just roll in there and think you're going to make a, a vast amount of changes um, in an organization. It has to be over time, has to be done in a very humble way. Everybody always needs to be respected. And, and that that's another big piece is that we don't use names. We don't use children's names. We don't use coaches' names. So when students reflect on their experience, they'll say, well, we were at a practice and this coach was angry that they lost their game when they were winning by three goals going into third period. So the next practice, the U10 skated for 40 minutes to start the practice. And instead of saying something like, well, that coach, that's not what you should be doing with U10s. That's not appropriate. We don't talk like that. What we would say is, well, based on what you've learned on coaching theory and based on the age group of these children and what you've learned about child development, how, may, how might you approach that situation when you're in the community and, and you have the pressure of parents and you may not know enough about child development? So I always try to see it from the perspective of people are doing the best they can with the knowledge and skills that they have at the time. So I, that is one thing for sure. We, we don't go off into the youth sports community to start picking apart everybody. That's just not going to work. Nobody wants to be picked apart. So I, I would say those are the two biggest things is to be humble and to not use names or names of children. So for example, oh, 
Johnny at the U10 practice. I'm like, no, we don't use that name. We use a player at the U10 practice was snowing the goalie the entire practice trying to get attention. So maybe that player, what does that player need from a coach or from an assistant coach or from someone else? That player may need attention, whether it be positive or negative. So maybe that player, we could give that more positive attention. So he or she doesn't seek negative attention instead, instead of Johnny does this and Johnny does that. So I don't know if that's the answer you're looking for, but that's kind of my big takeaways. Well, that's absolutely fascinating through the journey of like understanding that change doesn't happen overnight. Um, anyone who's ever tried to go in with guns blazing um, has quickly learned that that does not work um, or they may need to just start their own thing. And yeah. that's a lot more than they bargained for. Mm-hmm. So that's fascinating. And then the second piece that I, I really enjoyed that you talked about is everyone is doing their best with what they know and what they have. Like, no one, I've never met someone who's tried to be terrible. No, they may be terrible. That's fair yeah. enough, but they're also trying the best that they can, like going in telling someone they stink. Okay. They may, that may be true, but you're not actually helping them. Like rather right. than finding ways to guide and be that soft humility mm-hmm. that actually drives change. I, I think that's absolutely massive. And I love that. And then you, you also mentioned the snippet in there, but something I really want to expand on is talking about like evidence-based, like you have a very evidence-based approach. It's not just like throw things out there. Um, and I know many people that are a little standoffish when it comes to like psychology and teaching all like, fl- you know, the fluffy stuff or whatever you want to call it. But I, I love how you're, you're saying you're rooted in evidence and how things operate, whether that uh, before we got on here, we were talking about just like understanding why you should change in 40 seconds, like what happens during a shift. So I'm curious for you to dive into how, how you do evidence-based. Right. So everything that we um, teach the athletes in our program is evidence-based or evidence-informed. So they have to learn the difference between someone's opinion and anecdotal evidence. So we hear that a lot. Well, when I grew up, we did this and we did that. Well, that's a nice opinion that you have in regards to how you should treat a child who's um, U12, but that's not actual evidence on how we should treat a child who's uh, under the age of 12 in regards to uh, egocentrism or attention seeking or et cetera. So we, we teach the students evidence based, which is based on research. We follow all kinds of professors and use academic research so that they understand that um, what they're learning is actual rooted in theory. And we kind of tweak the content to be evidence informed because when you're a practitioner and you have to go into the community, you have to do it live. You have to do it real time. So sometimes that's not as easy when you're with a team of uh, U11 hockey players and everybody's going and skating all over the place and Um, acting the way that they're acting you have to take all of that knowledge and now you have to somehow apply it so as a practitioner which is the doing piece the doing part is is where they learn how to put these things into practice so it's really easy to teach them communication or a conflict resolution like how do you resolve conflicts with teenagers that are in an argument on on a team and we can teach them the ways to do that but when they actually have it in front of them that that becomes the practice so it it's very cultural. It can be environmental, it can be situational. So we have to bring all of these pieces to the puzzle. And that's why once you have to have the application piece, if they're not out in the community and practicing and then actively reflecting on it based on evidence, then it's just a hamster wheel of 
just survival, 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 which I've, I've personally witnessed just watching you sports is if there's no, like you said earlier, no chance for reflection, then it, it just doesn't go anywhere. It's just repeating similar behaviors. You might learn a little bit here and there, but you don't even know why you learn it. It's like we teach um, growth and maturation through sport, like puberty and talent identification. We teach that a lot here because they're in puberty, they're in high school. And some of them are early and some of them are late and they can be up to four years ahead or behind. And you have your um, kids who develop early and they sometimes excel in sport, but then they kind of crash at 19, 20 when everyone catches up and vice versa. Some kids struggle at the beginning and middle of high school because they're so late to development and they kind of take off towards the end of it. So we teach that. We teach the evidence behind that. So when they're off coaching a U16 or U18 team, they can actually look at players and say, wait a minute, this player might actually turn out really, really good. His skills are really good. His hockey IQ is off the charts. He's the first person here, last person leave, like trying so hard, you know, takes getting sat sometimes with like a champ and then and you're able to counsel that person you're able to help that player move on and that's because you know the evidence if you don't know the evidence you might be telling that player oh well he's just not good enough oh his mom I heard this one all the time well the mom's short so that kid's going to be super short well that's not true at all like that has nothing to do with how you would decide or how you could assess a player on their growth and maturation just random comment on the size of one's mother so you hear these things all the time and instead of just going opinion to opinion to opinion we're like no what's rooted in evidence what's rooted in theory and practice and we teach that and we follow and then they start to try to see how they can apply all these evidence-based concepts in real time in real sport yeah that's the toughest part like doing it in real time like you take all of these theories and I would, I would know many adult coaches that would love this stuff. Uh, you probably ran into a wall earlier in your career with many mm-hmm. that didn't appreciate it as much, but with the internet, I bet we can find a, a need and a niche for that. Um, you know, people like, how do, how do I deescalate two teenage yeah. boys? That would, that would be a fascinating conversation to have with, with many coaches that would love to get better, but maybe just don't have the, the quality resources out there and you probably yeah. can't get enough of a concentration in maybe one community. So I think that's that's absolutely fascinating and and how you're going about it. Um, Are there any favorite projects that the kids going through the program have done that have really wowed you? I I know you do post a few on social media here and there, and they're always fantastic. And I I know I learned things from it. So it's Mm got to be absolutely amazing for you to see, you know, 400 kids come through and have all of these different projects. Right. So that's a fair question. I have so many projects wheeling around in my head because part of um, the empowering and the um, autonomy that they seek is uh, we're actually in the process of doing them right now. There's um, I give them a problem. I said, you need to think of a problem or something that you want to share with the community, the sporting community and how we can provide more information. So uh, one student right now is doing the MSOs, PSOs and NA. Uh, NSO, sorry. So what's municipal, what's provincial, what's national, if you're say in Canada basketball, like what are the stakeholders or it could, we'll use Hockey Canada, for example, what are the stakeholders, uh, parents, athletes, coaches, sportsmen, what do we wish they knew going through hockey 
about their local hockey organization, the provincial and hockey Canada, like what's on those sites, what's in those organizations that would help a parent or a, a sports administrator for a hockey club understand how we can help them better. So I have a student working on that. Another one will literally make a complete hockey. Actually, this one who's a coach, I remember him. He uh, He's the one coaching university assistant right now in Canada. And he made one on a PV plan for an entire year. He did practices, um, dry land, nutrition, team building. Like it was a massive binder full. He used Hockey Canada resources, resources from wherever he could find. And he created a year long plan for PV. And he made that in grade 11. Like it was amazing. Like it, it's just gold. So they have to pick a project that inspires them. So uh, one, for example, right now is doing how do you do team building on a team that's actually helpful? So instead of, hey, we're going bowling or, hey, we're going rock climbing. So they're doing things on how to be uh, an appropriate captain on a team. How, how do you behave as a leader within a team and studying um, evidence based on these sorts of things and creating a little document. So they're making those right now. And you're right, I will post them. And what they do is I help provide all the resources for them from universities or textbooks or evidence-based articles from even just regular books that are for sale, like James Clear, Atomic Habits, Range, um, Legacy, like just leadership books. So they take a combination of a bunch of resources that we think are great. They start working on the project and then I dabble in and out with editing and helping them create it. Uh, but I will say, um, you'll like this one. It's uh, almost finished. I could send it to you, but it's a uh, town identification and a tryout assessment form for U14 to U18 based on Hockey Canada's guidelines. So this is about an, I don't know, eight page document that this student has been making and working on for weeks and weeks. And it's excellent. So those are the types of things they do. We try to find something that's inspirational to them, something from the youth sports landscape that they want to have an influence on or learn a deeper information about. And then I kind of monitor the projects all along the way. And then we get a whole crop of new 30 every 30 new ones show up here every five months. So it, it's a lot of work. They're little projects and they kind of go off and I've got probably hundreds in my Google Drive, because some get to that point where they're able to be shared publicly and others, it's just, you know, it's just not really for sharing publicly, but the student athlete did learn a lot about it, but it's just saved for them in their memory bank. So yeah, we've got lots of projects. We could talk for days about them. Is, is there an online spot where uh, people that are listening can go and check these out all, all in one spot? Yeah, so we're slowly posting them online on a little site called athleadership.info. And again, I am fairly um, not good at technology. So I have students are posting these projects on there. They're working on it. And uh, yeah, like they're on there, like I said, but we try not to put them on there unless they're... Um, I guess, shareable, like of the quality of share, of sharing largely in community. So there's all kinds of them on there. And what we also do is somebody contacts us. So sometimes an organization will contact us and say, we would like a resource for 
um, U8 to U12 in soccer, some skills and drills and training and things that we can blast off to coaches. And we're like, okay. And then I'll ask, does anyone want to make this as part of their project this year? And then they'll, they'll actually sign up for things like that. So there's all kinds of other projects we just fired off to um, other teams and community sport organizations. Like right now I have a student working on um, for our tourism for our city is all the walking paths, the bike trails, the outdoor skating that families can do, especially because we're in lockdown that are free or very low cost. So she's mapping these trails all over London and all over the area. And again, that's not really sport related necessarily as it is um, being active and getting out in your community. So there's all kinds of different things that they'll work on based on if somebody reaches out and says, uh, we, we'd like something made in regards to this and nobody gets any money, nobody gets any extra money. And so that's actually quite freeing because how do you complain about something that somebody gave you for free? Right. So something is better than the nothing they had the two weeks or three weeks ago before they asked. So we don't really get anyone following up with like, oh, we didn't like this. It wasn't good enough because, like I said, they're we're just doing the best that we can with the knowledge and evidence and time that we have. So we're just trying to help one little sand pebble at a time. Oh, that's fantastic. I love all that. And I I might have to think of some projects and throw them your way and see what we can do. Mm-hmm. Um, and through that process, um, I know just from like coaching hockey, uh, at the club level, when we're looking at trying to grow our people that they're trying to do all of these things and they're trying the best they can, but they don't have all the resources or they mm-hmm. don't know how to go about it quite yet. Um, even if they have the energy, so I'm curious how you go about supporting these athletes as people. Like yeah. just the simple fact that they are people first, they're not researchers, they're not athletes first, they're people first. Like, how do you go about that? Yeah, actually, that's one of the biggest pieces of what I spend my time doing. So, of course, there's the curriculum piece. Of course, there's the getting gaining certification so they have some content and that builds their resume and um, that allows us to partner with governing bodies and that sort of thing. So we're kind of teaching them about governing bodies. So why not take certifications through them all? But at the end of the day, you're exactly right. Like I teach, um, or all the athletes that are in front of me are treated as an individual. So what happens is, is I've worked with kids at my day job, which is would be through school, but also hundreds of kids in the community. And what happens is you just have to have those critical conversations. You need to sit down at first and figure out what sports they're playing and why they're playing it, how old they are, where they are in the developmental food chain um, in regards to levels. So again, I'll just relate it to hockey is, are you triple A, are you double A, are you single A, are you house league? Or what, where do you want to go in the sport? So it's a lot of interviewing, getting to know them, um, getting to know their family life. So all so much goes into helping an athlete transition through sport that isn't related just to their skill or their um, tactics. So I'll stick to hockey because this podcast, but it's, are, are you skilled at the sport? Can you, um, are you tactical? Do you have the hockey IQ to actually move on in the sport? That's not for me to assess them on that. That's just a piece of the puzzle that they have to consider. And we talk about ways where they can find that out and how that gets um, evaluated over time by people who actually are their hockey coaches or work in hockey. 
but it's, I'll give you an example. So if, if I have a student in front of me who's the oldest of four and um, they may not be willing to leave to go play junior hockey in a pay to play league. Um, they may not think that their family has access to money to provide that opportunity for them. So how can you give the same advice to that student versus somebody who has a family that has perhaps put that money away for them or has access to that money where they can go to uh, a prep school or a pay to play junior league? So there's varying characteristics or information that I have to collect over time after building a trusting and safe relationship in a non-judgmental way, because that's the biggest piece too, is they have to feel where they can be honest. And some of them just don't want to go away or there. I've had students sit in front of me and say, I don't, I don't want, I have no interest in playing the sport after high school. I just happen to be good at it. Like, I don't want to train anymore. And I, my, my parents love football so much and they love tailgating and they love going, but I don't want to, I don't want to go to practice every day. Or, and so I'm like, okay, so if you don't want to do that, how do you tell your parents this? Or how do we go about addressing the situation? Um, because not often are people asking them these questions. And if you are asking them and you're a stakeholder, like a parent of a child in sport, obviously they're being guarded um, on occasion. I, I can't speak for all these situations, but it's there's so many factors that go into these decisions that we break all of this down. Like, have you had injuries before? How many times have you had shoulder surgery? Is it worth it? You've torn your ACL twice and you're 18. Like, do, do you really want to go away to school and have and pay this much money on a partial scholarship? You've already torn your ACL twice. Is, are you willing to, for that third time? And there's all kinds of things. So yeah, at, at the end of the day, what I truly love about what I do is those relationships with kids and looking at them from their specific situation what they want to get from their sport, and then bridging the gap with how we're going to get there. And they're so different, as I'm sure you can imagine. I've been doing this for so long. Some, it's like, no, I'm going, I want to go pro this. I'm going to be in the NHL. Like, I have it just in my head, and this is how. And so you have to provide next steps. And injury management is training. Do you need power skating? Because often, like as teenagers, that's one of the biggest things that we see that holds them back is they don't realize how good you have to be able to skate at any level past junior hockey. So um, there's all kinds of things that we take into consideration when I'm trying to help them move on to where they want to go through sport and in life or career or school. Fascinating. I bet a lot of people have energy that they've gotten this far through and of all the ideas that are blasting off in their heads as they're listening. So I'm curious of pieces, elements, and you may have some packets or things that people can take some of these ideas that you're doing, which is a very heavily involved way, but maybe can scale to their team, their kid. Or if it's a player listening, you know, what are some things that they can be doing to help themselves? Um, because it's, it's great to have that program that you have going, but I don't think there's enough Wendy Glovers in the world uh, out there to be able to take this time and give this attention. But I know there's a lot of people that love what you're doing and the concepts behind it and would love to do in some capacity that at their own level. It's funny you mentioned that because I, there's been a momentum in what I've been doing. So the first, like I've only been in this specific program with um, 
for 12 years. And my first five, seven years, I was very skeptical of myself and the concept. So I, I believed in the concept. I thought it was a good idea. Let's empower teens. Let's get them out there. But until like a cycle went through, until they went all the way through high school and went into post-secondary sport or not, or aged out or just weren't good enough. Um, and then I could see them contributing to sport, which has been say the last five to seven years that I really believe, okay, I got something here. And then it kind of blew up. Like we started with 17 or first year. Now um, I have, we have a limit where we only allow 60 a year. So right now there's 180 just in this little school here and these kids love it and they find value in it. And then that's not even including the community teams that I work with. I work with many community teams. So I understand what you're saying. And people are asking me like what you said, like, how are you doing all that? How do you manage to um, give advice and information. And so I have to figure out a way to, I guess, scale it down into the key points on uh, and look fors. And again, it's very um, it's situation dependent. So I've been working on, on that, on tr- trying to figure out a way to say, what are some predictors? Well, obviously financial. Um, it could be potential in sport and or potential in academics. So for example, we have a, a student who's um, playing at Dartmouth right now and another one um, at Western Michigan. We have kids in all kinds of youth sport university here, but w- how do you help somebody who doesn't have interest in um, post-secondary education in that respect? So you're right, I need a template that's going to be more helpful for other people to kind of break down some key indicators that you have to discuss between the ages of 15. And I, I usually use U21 as the age, but um, often the kids in sports, if they're playing university uh, or junior leagues or transitioning from junior hockey to pro, um, often I work with them right up till they're 23 uh, because that transition of maturity and the adolescent brain and the amount of transitions they have to have between, say, junior hockey or, or division one hockey or youth sports or pro they're, they're moving several times. They're moving They're It's unpredictable. They have injuries, they, they have school. So I think uh, my next step will be to try to make something um, that is more scalable and usable for more people than just what I have in my Google drive, which is how I keep track of all these things um, to try to help them with these transitions and next steps and decision-making that they all have to go through. Yeah. And, it, and it's tough. And I, I know a lot of people have done their own programs. Like at Akron, we do our life view program and it's basically mm-hmm. before Monday night practice, we'll bring in speakers or we'll have a topic that we'll touch on for an hour, just that works within our schedule. Cause you know, they're college kids. They got plenty to, to be doing um, hopefully, you know, not getting in too much trouble on a Monday night so we can actually get them to the rink on time and have, have fun at practice. But like, it's just such a fascinating concept because the ones that have taken to it most off the ice are the ones that three or four years later have taken the largest jumps and surpassed those ones that haven't taken in this personal development. So I'm assuming you may know some evidence base that shows that personal growth leads to athletic growth. Um, but I'd be fascinated to, to see more people out there. And if anyone listening in has some examples of what they're doing, I think Wendy and I would both appreciate seeing that. And um, maybe this is a, this is something that Wendy, your, your group can get together and, and see, you know, help you out with that. You got a beautiful workforce there that I hear is uh, really cheap. <laughs> <laughs> I know. Yeah. We got an endless supply of teenagers that just keep showing up. 
But yeah, there's definitely some life literacy. There's things that um, they wish they'd learn that isn't in, um, sorry, in typical uh, school curriculum. And that's kind of what we focus on too, is things that they wish they learned uh, in, because it's not covered in science or math or English class. So we tap on those life skills to revisit or even touch on for the first time. And as they age, we revisit them because they change. How you treat your money when you're 15 is not the same as how you're going to treat your money when you're um, 21 in, in college or when you're exiting and you're trying to find your first job. Uh, so there's definitely some life skills that we use and touch on in time management and simple things like how do you apologize? Like, how do you apologize? How do you send an email? How do you um, reconnect with an old friend? Like all these sorts of things, uh, like life lessons um, are, are, are important for them to learn so they can be successful in the sport that they're doing because it, it, the more successful they are off the ice, the more successful they can be at the rink because they're not worried and distracted and having all these other things tugging and pulling on them, um, causing mental noise all the time for them. And, and I heard a rumor out there that all, all roads, all roads lead to adult league at some point, like even Chris yeah. Chelios who pay, yeah. played till after age 50 is apparently playing men's league these days. So I, I think that, uh, what you're talking about is probably the most valuable thing. Um, and even with money, say you do make it big and you're Connor McDavid. All right. Well, now you've got some new problems. Like there's never a time where you're not going to have problems. It's just what kind of problems are you going to have? And being able to prepare these young people to face those problems is just massive. And I think absolutely fantastic what, you, what you're doing there. Um, I'm going to leave one. I'm going to thank you. Uh, second, I would like to say, I'm going to give you two minutes Tell us anything and everything. What, uh, where should we go to follow you? How can we support you? What do you want people to know? Anything you want. I'll leave the floor open for two minutes to take it wherever you want. And thank you so much again for coming on. Well, thanks for having me and put me on the spot, but I don't mind. Um, yeah. So through Twitter, my handle is at develop athletes. And I, like I said, I have a little website. It's nothing um, incredible. We don't pay anyone. Um, some students make it with me. It's athleadership.info. And it's just meant to share information so that uh, parents, coaches, athletes themselves can go learn about youth sports and uh, development. Uh, all kinds of team building activities are on there, character building, career academic, gaining certifications through sport, um, content related to talent identification, uh, technical and tactical um, improvements or physical conditioning. It's just a smorgasbord of our favorite books and documents and Twitter follows and related to professors and academics. And um, the one thing I would like everyone to take away from this is to always treat the person in front of you, um, the athlete that you have with respect because they are people first. So sometimes we get caught up in X's and O's and I know this message gets sent out often, but um, like to kind of get to the root of why they play and it, keeping things fun, regardless of the age that they're in, there has to be a cycle back to keeping it fun for them and always maintaining the dignity of the athletes that you work with, because nobody likes to be picked apart. Um, going at things from the lens of asking questions. So instead of um, accusatory comments all the time. We work really hard on our communication skills. Like, why don't we ask questions? Like, 
how did we have this problem and how can we make this problem better? Um, how do we learn from this problem that we've had? How do we move forward? What are our values? What is our personal mission statement? How, what are some words that we want to write down that we want to live by? So if the students write out their own personal creed, um, they write out things where they keep, they keep track of it so that they have their own words to answer to. So they're not like, well, my coach said this or my mom said that or my dad said this. No, like, what do you say? What are your values moving on through sport and in life? And um, I think just that the other big message is to have humility, that we're all just trying to do the best that we can and help the kids in front of us and everyone we meet. We could try to kind of de-escalate things where we can and just look at it from the lens of self-improvement. That was fantastic. And I know that's going to send me down a rabbit hole and many others. Uh, I, I know I'm going to be looking up all of those life skills that I've probably taken for granted already about like sending a thank you note, crafting emails. Um, I, we got a few at Akron, like uh, our, our mistake protocol. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, this has absolutely been a fascinating conversation. And I want to say thank you so much. And um, I'll definitely say everyone go out to Twitter, give Wendy a follow, reach out if you want to learn more. Um, and I would say you want to learn more. There's no way that this doesn't help you in some capacity, whether you're a player, parent, coach, et cetera. This is just absolutely invaluable information. And Wendy, thank you so much for all you do, not just coming on the podcast, but for doing this in the community and changing truly lives. I, I think that uh, we underestimate teens. Thank you for having me. And I agree. We truly underestimate teens. Awesome. Thank you so much. Okay. Take care. Well, I hope you enjoyed that episode. I know I did. So before we let you go, though, we'd like to remind you to please like our podcast, subscribe to it, give us a follow uh, and share this with all the hockey people in your life. We really appreciate uh, growing this community, this podcast. Um, remember, we also have a newsletter, the Hockey IQ newsletter as well. Really excited to continue to grow this. So Please help us grow this further by liking, subscribing, following, and sharing uh, with everyone. So appreciate you all. Take care. That concludes this week's episode. Thanks for joining us here at Hockey IQ. If you haven't already, take a quick moment to hit that subscribe button, give us a thumbs up, and drop a review. If you want to be a great teammate, even recommend us to a friend. You can follow us at Hockey's Arsenal on Twitter and Instagram. Check out the website, Hockey'sArsenal.com, where you can subscribe to the weekly newsletter. You won't regret it. Catch a Buttes here next week for a brand new episode.